I've heard a lot of prayers in my life, and but there's one prayer I've never heard. I'm not a priest. I don't listen to confession, but I was a pastor's kid. So that means we were in church on Sunday morning, a couple hours on Sunday night, Wednesday night, often other programs during the week. I used to run sound for weddings. I've been a college minister. Now I've been a pastor. I've heard a ton of prayers, and I've heard a ton of prayer requests. But I was thinking this week, I was like, nobody has ever said, hey, would you pray for wisdom for me? I've got to live this week. There's always, I've got a big decision coming up. Will you pray for me? Give me, that God would give me wisdom. But I realized this week that there's this disconnect often between we need wisdom and, well, I have to live this week. We usually think about wisdom in terms of I have decisions coming up. There's options that I need to know. Do I go to the right or do I go to the left? We think about wisdom in terms of there's knowledge and I need some extra knowledge this week. But right now we're going through the book of Proverbs and we're coming to a chapter that says actually wisdom is not just about the decisions that we have to make. Wisdom is also about getting out of bed in the morning. Wisdom is actually about those everyday things that we don't think of having a lot of importance. But Solomon is telling his son and God is talking to us today about what is, how does wisdom work when you're getting up and going to a job that you hate? What, is, what does wisdom have to do with the kinds of things that I'm responsible for and the things I'm not responsible for? What does wisdom have to do with the words that I use or don't use? It talks about things like, what, what does wisdom have to do with the friends that I choose or the people that are, I'm around? What does wisdom have to do with the relationships that I have with my family, in my workplace, and in my neighborhood? So today, go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6 where we've been looking at this high level of wisdom. What is wisdom like? What is, the, what is the beginning of wisdom? What does it mean to follow God in wisdom? We, we look at what wisdom has to do with sex and marriage. Then we get to chapter 6. But before we dive into that, I want to just set the table one more time. Proverbs 1 lays out for us that the beginning of wisdom actually starts with the fear of the Lord. Fear is a word in the English language is kind of filled with all sorts of meaning for us. A lot of history for some of us. What, is, what does it mean to be afraid? And so I, I like to say, I like to explain Proverbs chapter 1 saying that the beginning of wisdom starts with regard for the Lord. The person that actually orients their life around God and that's really the heart of fear. The fear of the Lord starts with regard for the Lord, orienting our entire being and everything that we have to do around, the, around God. So then we get to Proverbs chapter 6. And with that as our background, we end up finding that we are called to live with regard for the Lord every day. We're called to live with regard for the Lord every day. And so what I want to show you, Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 1. My son... If you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth. Then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open Your Word today that You will make it clear what it means for us to live with regard for You in the mundane details of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
So this passage is going to call us to live with regard for the Lord every day in those mundane details, not just the big ones. And so what I want to show you here in Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to go through verses 1 through 19, that I want to show you three everyday choices that can be driven by regard for the Lord. Three everyday choices that can be driven by regard for the Lord. Verses 1 through 5 says, take responsibility with regard for the Lord. Take responsibility with regard for the Lord. What I just read, Proverbs 1, or 6, 1 through 5, lays out, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor and have given pledge for a stranger, the idea here is what he's saying is, if your neighbor says, would you actually secure my mortgage? Which is like, who in the world would ever put up security for their neighbor's mortgage? And how is that an everyday decision? When the neighbor says, hey, I I need to take out a a new loan for a car, will you be the one to back that up? Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe that may be a little bit more common in your family. But the idea here is don't don't like be the security for somebody else's mortgage. How does that become an everyday detail? Because if I become the security for my neighbor's mortgage and, and he does something bad with the money, then I'm left with debt and my life can be ruined. The, the principle here in this, he's saying go and save yourself from this, but the principle here is that there are some things that we can be responsible for and some things that we're not. There's some things that we can be responsible for because we have some measure of control over them, but don't take for responsibility for things you can't control is the principle here. And so for the, so we begin to look at our lives in light of that and we go, oh, like I'm supposed to take responsibility in regard to, hey, God's in charge. And I don't have to be, and I don't get to be. And so I'm not going to take for responsibility for things that I don't get to control. And I'm going to leave those things in God's hands. Like me, you've probably had jobs where you've been asked to take responsibility for things that you can't do. Things you have no control over. You're tempted to grab on and clutch on and in worry and in pressure and in control, try to bend the situation to yourself. But if, if wisdom means that day by day I take responsibility with regard for the Lord, then that means that there's going to be some things where I say, you know what, I don't have any control over this. I'm going to have to leave this in God's hands. Maybe it's a a wayward child. If we're supposed to take responsibility only with regard to the things that God has actually given us responsibility and control of, then that means that some wayward children, we have to leave in His hands and pray for them and trust Him, even though our hearts break. Maybe it's another kind of relationship that we're tempted to say, oh, I need to take responsibility for this. I've got to spend my whole life getting control of this situation. Regard for the Lord means sometimes we put them in His hands and trust in Him. You see, the folly in this situation is the person that goes around thinking, oh, I can control everything. I can be responsible for everything. But instead, the Regard for the Lord leads us to humility that says, there's a lot of things outside of my control. In Western society, where we understand so much about science and economics and we have so much data and we know all of these things, or we think that we know all of these things, we can get this illusion of control. And so we can begin essentially taking responsibility for our neighbor's stuff, even though we have no control over it. And so we spend our whole lives in this quest for control when wisdom says, nope, today I'm responsible for some things and God's got the rest. It's the kind of thing that we see in the book of Judges when one of the judges named Jephthah makes a promise that the first thing that comes out of his house 
is going to be sacrificed to God. I don't know if he thought goats come out of his house more often than not, but it ended up being his daughter. And then in his foolishness and in his hard heart towards God, he keeps his promise, sacrificing his daughter. The Bible doesn't bless that promise. Instead, it shows the guy who thinks he knows what's happening and he thinks he knows how he's going to fulfill the promise. And so with rash words, starts taking responsibility and doing things that God has never said to do. It's the same thing that we see with Saul when he takes his soldiers into battle and says, nobody's going to eat anything until we win. Which is like the worst idea when everybody's blood sugar crashes and they can't go into battle. And so then his son, who doesn't know about the promise, ends up eating honey and bringing the curse of God down on the people so that Saul's soldiers die. So this the point of those sto- well, part of the point of those stories is people who using their words start taking responsibility for things that are not theirs to control. So the call to you and I is, personally, will we actually take stock morning by morning and say, you know what? I'm responsible for a few things today. I'm not responsible for everything. Regard for the Lord means I'm going to put those in His hands today. For some of us, that's a hard thing to do moment by moment to wake up over breakfast and say, you know what? I'm not responsible for the way this person is going to respond today. So I'm not going to take responsibility for it. I'm going to leave it in God's hands. For some of us, that's going to, you know what? There's some stuff that's going to happen at work today. I'm going to actually leave those things in God's hands because I don't have control over them. For some of us, that means we take our fears and we put them in God's hands. Say, God, I don't have control over this fear and I don't have control of what's out there. I'm going to leave them in your hands. For some of us, it's looking at our kids and saying, it sure seems like I can be in control here, but I know that I'm not, so I'm going to put it in his hands. That's what wisdom looks like every day. The second everyday choice that can be driven by regard for the Lord is that we work and rest with regard for the Lord. Verses 6-11 through say, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep? a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. One of the beautiful things about the Proverbs is they they say that life is not just a series of spiritual things that we need to go and pray about, but sometimes we can look at the things that happen at work and in our homes and in our gardens, and we can actually learn about God and His ways from those things. And so he directs their attention to the ant and says, look at the ant. Look at the ant. There's no boss over him, no chief, no officer or ruler. And there's something good about the fact that in summer she prepares her food and she gathers her food during the harvest. Like, look at the ant. Like the, the ant is diligent, even though somebody's not standing over their shoulder, bossing them around, whipping them with whips, or promising them money. There is a diligence that when we look at the ant and we see that it is good. So what? We look at this and go, okay, so we learn from this that laziness is bad and definitely leads to ruin and diligence is a good thing. But it's, we have to make sure that we also realize that this isn't like, a, the Proverbs are not promises and legal guarantees always. We, we can't take this passage and flip it on its head and say, well, if you're in poverty, then, then that means that you're lazy. No, the, he's just telling his son, son, if you, when it's time to work, if you stay in bed and be lazy, you're going to end up in poverty. Can't say anything about every instance of poverty. All I'm telling you, son, is that if you are lazy, it's going to lead to your ruin. But 
Notice that he doesn't say the ant works summer, harvest, winter, spring. He doesn't say the ant works day and night, never resting. But the, the principle here is that there is a time for work. And when it's time to work, then work. Get it done. Diligence. There is an intrinsic goodness about diligent work. And so work and rest, the different seasons of work and rest are actually good things. And so that when we look at nature, we end up finding that regard for the Lord, that wisdom leads us to both work diligently and then when it's time is to rest. Whether it's because of how some of us were raised, whether it's because some of us love money or we love the accolades of people, some of us can be prone to diligence all the time workaholism, to try and impress people or to acquire money and things. That's not the point here. The point is just that diligence is a good thing. We are not just diligent because there's a boss over us, a chief or a ruler whipping us into shape, but it's instead God has created the world in such a way that diligent work is a good reward. And so regard for the Lord begins to seep into every day when we wake up and say, okay, I don't love my work. I don't love everything that I have to do at my work, but being diligent in it is part of wisdom. I, this week I was doing the chapel service at the nursing home and I I took two sermons with me. I've never done this before, but I was like, how in the world am I going to do a chapel service to a lot of people with physical issues or with dementia and preach on work? What in the world am I going to say? So I grabbed another sermon from my file because I was like, I, I'm just going to feel like an idiot standing in front of them saying, diligent work is very good, those of you that can't remember anything that's going to happen today. <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, no, I, I was driving on my way there. I, I was thinking, good, and I was like, what am I going to share about work with people who either physically or mentally cannot work and should not work? And I realized that the principle here is that when it's time to work, work and be diligent in it. But if it's not time to work because of retirement, or physical issues, or mental deterioration, that it's okay to rest in the Lord, that work and rest both can be done with regard for the Lord, not just work. And so that's good for the workers in a nursing home to know, hey, diligent work in a nursing home is a good thing. And I shared that with them. It honors God and it lives wisely. But if you can't because of physical or mental inability, it's okay to let somebody else do that diligent work because work and rest both can be done with regard for the Lord. And that's what we see in the life of the ant preparing her bread in summer, gathering her food in harvest, then at night, and then when it's out of season, then we rest and let somebody else work. And so the the point here is, will you work and rest with regard for the Lord? Will you, this Memorial Day weekend, if you have some time off, make some lemonade or make a favorite drink and rest with regard for the Lord and say, Lord, I've got some time off, but I know that you're always working. But will you also say, when it comes time to work, I'm going to go and I'm going to be diligent. Not because my boss said so. Not because I'm going to get some accolades from somebody else. Not because I'm going to get more money out of it. Simply because God has made a world in which good work is good work. Diligent work is good work. So then can we begin to speak about work in such a way that we say, work is a great blessing. I'm thankful that the Lord has given it to me. And I'm going to work at it with all my heart when it's that time because I love Him. So we we live in a world that runs down work and runs down work and says, oh, it's not work is work. Work is wearying. Work is bad. Can can we become the kinds of people that say, no, 
diligent work is a, is a reward because it is done with regard for the Lord. Nobody else speaks that way. They just speak in terms of input and output. They just speak in terms of money and prestige and success. But we can instead say, oh, because I love the Lord, because I've been put into his world, I know that work is a good thing. And it's somehow a picture of the God who is over me and who is with me. The third everyday choice that can be driven by regard for the Lord is we find in verses 12 through 9, orient your life towards honesty and peace. What does it mean to to make everyday choices driven by regard for the Lord? It means orienting our lives towards honesty and peace. Verse 12 says, a worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, he signals with his feet, he points with his finger, with a at heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Then this next section reverses it and says almost the the same exact stuff. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. These two sections restate over and over what it that that the call of wisdom is a call to orient ourselves towards honesty and peace because it is wicked people that actually their entire being, their heart and their feet and their hands and their eyes and their relationships and everything is oriented towards strife towards discord, and towards dishonesty. Points out this, their eyes are haughty or they wink with their eyes. You go, what, what the, the heart of this is these two ideas of honesty and peace and dishonesty and discord. Their entire being is, is oriented towards deceiving other people and to causing strife among other people. When I say that, you and I probably have different people come into our minds. Different people that we have relationships with. Different people that we watch. And we say, yes, look at that person. Everything about them seems to be oriented towards dishonesty and towards discord. But this is a warning from a father to his son saying, son, if you have regard for the Lord, don't be this kind of person whose perverted heart is always devising evil whose heart is always devising wicked plans, who says one thing but means another, who says one thing and does another, whose eyes look one direction, but their heart is really inclined towards something else. And it shows up most clearly in in lips that lie and in relationships of discord. We We could get wrapped up in what does it mean to signal with feet and point with finger, but it really ultimately shows up in a person that lies and deceives others or who sows discord among other people. There's something about strife in relationships that is so far outside the bounds of wisdom that this passage says the Lord hates the one who sows discord among brothers. So the call here is will will we orient our days and everything about us towards honesty and peace? Well, we say, man, today it's going to be hard to be honest. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just really hard to be honest because I want to please somebody. I want to smooth something over. I don't want to make it so, well, this is just the decision that we've made and the direction that we've gone. The call is 
that every day will be, be oriented towards peace, towards honesty, and then more than that, towards peace with other people. One of the things that I found is that sometimes we replace the lack of fighting for peace. We act like, well, I'm just going to cover this over with grace for a while. I'm just going to smooth over this relationship and I'm going to ignore the thing that they've said. That's actually not peace and harmony. That's actually somebody who's, who's saying one thing but meaning another. It's actually more important for us to go to the person that we're in having discord with and instead of just saying, oh, forget it, I'm going to ignore it. Hey, this is an issue that I'm having. Will you help me? Will you help me? Because I don't want to be fighting. I don't want to be frustrated with you. I don't. And so the call of wisdom is actually to seek harmony with other people, not to smooth things over with this, this covering, this deceit of peace. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verses 18, that says, as much as is possible with you, live at peace with all men. Wisdom means that we're actually pursuing peace with all of the people that are around us. The people that have hurt us, the people that we've hurt, those situations that are shameful. The call of wisdom is says, no, will you actually pursue peace with other people this week? We can be so tempted to go, wisdom means I need to get the decision right this week. And Solomon says, no, son, sometimes it just means going and being at peace with the people that are around you. It means that the, your husband or your wife that you have been fighting with this week and just been, well, let's just kind of smooth it over until we can finally fight it out later. No, let, help me understand. I don't understand. I want to have peace in my home. So this passage says, will you live with regard for the Lord every day? Will you take responsibility with regard for the Lord? Working and resting with regard for the Lord. Orienting your life towards honesty and peace. And we go, oh, okay, that means that's what wisdom looks like. But if we're honest, the orientation of my heart is actually always towards myself. If you come to this passage and go, this actually condemns me more than it frees me, Joe, then welcome to the club. This, this, this passage is actually meant to hold up this standard. Hey, here's wisdom. Look what you have not met. Our hearts are oriented towards ourselves, towards getting what we want, not with regard for the Lord. That's the heart of sin against God. So where's the good news for people like you and for me who walk in the way of folly every day? When we look in the New Testament, we find that Luke says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. This perfect example, this perfect encapsulation of wisdom. And we find that Whereas we take responsibility for things we have no responsibility for, Jesus ends up taking our responsibility with regard to our sin before God. Jesus is the one who, though He had done nothing wrong, was condemned in our place, taking our responsibility on Himself. Jesus is the one who said, my Father is always at work. Jesus was the one doing His Father's work. And yet He was judged and condemned in the place of you and I. Jesus is the one whose entire life was oriented towards honesty, towards peace with God and with man, and yet He died estranged from God and man outside the city. So that you and I can actually gain what He has earned in His wisdom. As He grew in wisdom, 
He gives that reward to you and I so that on the inside, we don't have, we don't bear the shame and the guilt of our folly. We don't, we don't bear that estrangement from God because we've been oriented towards ourselves. And instead, it bursts new life in us so that we can live with regard for the Lord every day because Jesus did it in our place. You go, Joe, how can I know for sure? Maybe you've been here for a while. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're old. The Bible says that God made the world and he made it good and he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he said they are very good. And what, what I love about what he did in the garden is he actually planted a garden, put the people in it, and then he gave them work. He didn't put them in a barren place and said, feed yourselves. He actually put them in a place where they didn't have to earn anything and said, work. As we find in this passage, work and, regress, uh, work and rest with regard for the Lord. That's what we saw in the beginning. And Adam and Eve said, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. God, we're going to live our own way. We're going to do our own thing. And so God cast them out and every human after them has been estranged from God, oriented towards themselves and not towards God. The Bible says that God will one day punish all of his enemies who've been cast out of that garden, working on their own, taking responsibility for things they have no responsibility for, orienting their lives towards themselves. But instead of leaving us there, the Bible says that God and Jesus came and lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die. So that all who turn away from sin and take Jesus, take Jesus in his wisdom, will instead be restored to relationship with God so that we can live and work and rest and orient our lives with regard for the Lord once more. So that we can be the first fruits of that kind of kingdom once more. If you have questions about that, please grab me after the service. Grab somebody that brought you. This is the critical decision that we have to make. Will I actually repent and trust Christ? Then every day can be transformed. So imagine what that ends up looking like. If this room of people begins to like live in such a way that every day is transformed by wisdom, what boss wouldn't want 50 people like that? 50 people who have said, you know what, my whole life is responsible. I'm going to be responsible for the things I'm responsible for. Everything else is in God's hands. People who say, hey, when it's time to work, I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to rest in the Lord. People whose entire life is oriented towards honesty and peace. That's the kind of workplace any boss would want to have be filled with employees. What kind of homes would we see if we began to see people who are living with regard for the Lord in their responsibility, in their work, and in the orientation of their mouths and of their hands? In the book of Titus, Paul, Paul calls servants to live in such a way that they make the gospel attractive. And that's what wisdom is for. Adorn the gospel with wise lives oriented towards God, not just making wise decisions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great word. We thank you that Jesus is the wisdom of God dying on a cross in our place so that now we can live wise lives as a little taste of the kingdom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.